why can't I be the lead runner, was never the lead runner because they took on someone else who worked there less and was put as a lead runner. They just kind of like avoided the question, but like, oh, like we just give it to her because, you know, she was free or something. I was like, I'm always free. I'm free every bloody week. From Soho Media Club, this is Naked Stories a series taking you into the inner world of the media industry where prejudice and glass ceilings are laid bare. Stories that are hard to tell out in the open but have the power to change the future. Produced by PRL Studio, I'm Roses Okipo. Welcome to episode four, Rap Party. The thing about being brave is it doesn't come with the absence of fear and hurt. Bravery is the ability to look fear and hurt in the face and say, move aside, you're in the way. Melissa Tomino. A pocket rocket from the Midlands, our guest is Gutsy. Still only in her early 20s, but fast progressing and bursting with resilience. This girl has been through a lot of crap. You're about to hear the accounts of Daisy, the symbol of innocence and hope. Softly spoken, but with a feisty side to her, British Asian Daisy grew up in a small town with the bubble of happiness and security in the form of close family and a sound group of friends. It's peaceful, it's quiet. I've got cousins, all my family live in like near me, like in the next city or here and there. So, or within an hour. Both my grandparents, I can get to them within an hour, half an hour. It was a happy childhood. Nothing I could really like complain about because I think I was really, really lucky to be honest. I most... I probably was quite privileged when I was younger. My dad gave us what we needed, you know, the basics, food, water, shelter, the best education possible, and made sure we weren't spoiled. University done, Daisy did the familiar rite of passage of looking for a runner's job. High on enthusiasm and eagerness, she ended up accepting four back-to-back contracts in four different cities within a short period of time. Yeah. I thought this was mad too, but you got to do what you got to do. Manchester, London, Bristol, Nottingham, Manchester, and then back to my hometown in like Bywater. Finding a runner's job in film and TV, not so hard. Finding a good paying job that you enjoy. Let's be real, you'll have more luck winning the postcode lottery. The hours are impossibly long and the pay is hilariously low. Insert upside down smiley face. The laughing so you don't cry kind of hilarious. Sitting in front of me, Daisy starts to get comfortable in her studio chair. But the agitation starts as she recalls her first impressions of London. A city full of bright lights, 24-hour corner shops and big promises. Unfortunately, the big smoke gave her the cold shoulder. Not all London people are not saying that. It was just some... Some are not welcoming. My dad always said they can be quite rude and I probably wasn't didn't expect people to be rude to me. thought I was quite a happy person. So when I was, like, in London, I was, like, really happy and stuff. So literally, like, especially in that studio show, I'll go in the runner's room, all on their mobile phones. No hello, like, how's your journey or anything. They hated it when I was wanted to walk with them to the tube station or walking out with them or anything. Um, they crossed one cross the road once. This way is quicker, and I wanted to follow, but he looked like he didn't want me to follow him. (laughs) I even bought my book in that I was pretending I was reading. I was telling him, I was like, oh, you guys read this, but I wasn't really reading it. I thought it might spark a conversation. I even put, like, 
garage music on, wasn't working. I tried to ask them if they wanted a drink or anything, I'll get it from the fridge or something, like not, yeah. All Daisy wanted was the effort that she gave. A little acknowledgement of her existence amongst colleagues. Just a hello. Note to selves, don't pass up the opportunity to brighten up someone's day. I felt rubbish because I was just like, oh, this is so annoying. Like, why are they like this? Like, I'm really trying and I tried to make friends, really. Some of them were good. Some of them were really nice. It's just some of them were like, depending who's on shift, you don't know. I was curious. How does London differ from Manchester when working in the media industry? So in London, it's 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 very competitive. You're fighting for your shift. So at the sh- when I was at that like shiny studio show, every week I was fighting for my shifts. If you didn't reply within your availability within five minutes, all the shifts will go every week. And like you're on your phone, you might be in the middle of a shift to reply because you don't know when that PC is gonna send that email. So everyone's all like this. I don't want to ask my mom or dad to pay my rent or anything. And oh, I used to like, I used to be so cheap, and I just used to take all the spare food home every t- every day. I was gonna to go to the bin or like they'll keep it the next day or something. But I used to just take it all home, and just because <laughs> I was so cheap, I was like, I can't afford to like buy all this stuff all the time. I never eat out either, barely. Daisy just wasn't prepared for the infamous rat race which in the end, everyone inevitably tries to escape. I wish someone told me that it wouldn't be that much effort, if that makes sense. And I wish they said, you know, warn me about people in London and stuff and the vibes and, well, people in the industry. I wish someone told me that these schemes were available because I think I did try at these schemes and things, but I applied eight times and I just was in the year. And I kept getting really close to, for the next level as like a researcher. I couldn't get it. And then Manchester came about because, you know, when you're established in the industry, everyone kind of knows each other. All the production managers like message you or email you or call you or WhatsApp message you or voicemails, etc. So one came up and I had a message and they were like, oh, new job. And I was like, oh, okay. I was finishing work on the Friday, they called me. I took the telephone interview. I thought the job was in London. And I was wondering, like, why is no one taking it? Like, I don't understand. It's like, and like, no one told me. And they were like, yeah, start, start two o'clock on Monday in Manchester. I was in London, had nowhere to stay. Daisy got a job as a cable basher on a shiny show. Like ball to a chain, she was thrown together with one person for 12 whole hours every day. I was pretty close to him the whole time because I was cable bashing, so I was, which is like literally picking up the cables, following with the camera. Like literally my head was probably, because he's tall, probably like looking at his ass the whole time, literally. Because when he had to go to the toilet, I would have to look after his camera. When I had to go to the toilet, he stopped working. So it was literally like, even having, even having lunch with him. The closeness moved from proximity to that line. The line that must not be crossed. The line that, when crossed, makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Not in a good way. Compliments turned into creepy comments. Daisy's kind nature was being used against her. Unsure of how to deal with this, she did the only thing she knew how to do. Get on with it. Being young and naive should not facilitate unwanted sexual advances. 
I remember I just, I remember it was, it was really hot in that studio. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm really hot. Like it's really hot there. I was like, oh yeah, you can have a shower in my room or something like that. And I really like going for it. I was just like, oh, it, it was just horrible. And I just didn't, I couldn't get, get rid of him and things. And everyone was like so sound about him. Thought he was a really nice guy, but it's just kept, it's just kept preying on me, like saying, you're pretty, you're young, you're this. I was like, I wish I could have you and all this kind of. It was the last day of filming and Daisy got invited to a rap party. Free food, free drinks. You know, this is my type of jam. Finally, she could let her hair down and celebrate all of the hard work with her team. But no, that's not how it went down. So it was near my hometown, so I was like, sure, I'll go. So it was just in like the bar area, kind of slash, and there's loads of seats everywhere, so it's in the, like the lobby. So you, everyone's kind of dotted around a bit, so everyone's in and out because everyone's staying in the hotel. So people are like going upstairs to get ready and they come back down, or they kind of in and out situation. Most people in the party didn't get changed. Everyone was just wearing black because you wear that on in TV shows. So you can kind of distinguish who everyone is. And they all got, we all had these wristbands on as well, on top. And there's like free drinks. So there's like chatting to everyone from the team and the all the performers, etc. And it was really, really nice. And I was with him the whole day. So I was working with him the whole time. So I knew he was going because he was staying at the hotel. There was one girl, she did like, they always did say he's like, oh, he's a bit of a, bit of a joker, quite funny, you know. I thought it meant he's like funny as in ha-ha funny. That's what I took it as. He was Muslim, so I assume he didn't drink. You just assume that, or like he doesn't drink that much. But he was drinking like loads. I knew he, I knew everything about him. I knew he's got two kids, he's married, you know. He's like, I thought, oh yeah, you know, it's fine. But yeah, it was just getting closer. Like every time I was talking to someone else, he'll just try and follow me a little bit or like try and get closer. Like, oh, do you want another drink? Do you want another drink? I was like, I'll go and get it, I'm going to get it. He was like, come, come to my room, come to my room. And he was like, you're so pretty. And then he'll get his finger and like do it up and down your arm and you know, all these kind of like little things. And I asked Daisy, at what point did she think he crossed the line? I think when he did that finger thing with my arm, I was just like, it was just creepy and it was horrible. And it was overcomplimentary. This was probably probably an hour in at the rap party. As Daisy reenacts his creepy gesture, there is a look of disgust on her face and vomit at the back of my throat. Basically, when he touched me, I was sitting down. I was talking to this other girl and he came walking towards me. But because it's so dark in there, you can't really see who's about and it's so no- it's quite noisy. And there's like music going on. It's quite, it was quite loud. And it was really hot too. I remember it was so hot. It was like one of those hot summer days too. I was just like moving away and I, tr- I just ignored it really. And I think I was just carrying on talking to the girl. And then we f- I've just tried to finish that conversation. And I think I just went to the toilet or something. And I thought, oh, maybe because he's Indian, like he might be maybe nurturing in some sort of aspect. But it was that no, it was like, it was, <laughs> it was totally opposite. You should never question your safety at work. Rightly, Daisy was uncertain about this professional man who came so highly recommended. One drink at a time, the man she thought she could trust was turning into a monster. Was it the drink? Or was his drunk mind speaking his sober heart? Between a rock and a hard place, she was still a young graduate hungry for practical experience. It's sad, but very common, that she continued to plough through and seek more work with him. After all, 
the bills won't pay themselves. I thought the way it was, I have to work with him all the time, but then I was trying to get a job because I would sacrifice and work with him if I have to work to get more work. Yeah, I probably would have, probably at the time, because I was so desperate for TV work. With him, I didn't necessarily feel safe. It was more like I just put up with it because I know it's only for a short, temporary amount of time. I was like, I'm just never going to work with him. I know his name, I've got the call sheet, I've got his number. I can just block him. That's what, what the, the thing him going in my head. And I knew because he was a freelancer, so I was like, he's not staff at that company. So I thought, oh, it's probably just a one-off. I was thinking all the other things in my head. I was like, he's away from his wife, his kids. I'm pretty sure he's from like down south in London. So he's been on away on set all the like for ages. I bet he's just super lonely as well. He never gets to drink alcohol, probably not at home. So he's probably just going for it. And I feel like the only I was working with the whole day, so he's probably just desperate. It's very really difficult, like in your early twenties. Yeah, we're still in that student era. But with him, I just I just knew it was a one-off, so I just kind of allowed it. I never reported it. I never told anyone. Never did anything about it. I just maybe probably ask or try and overhear if any of the productions he's going to work on. Because he was from London, I thought I probably won't be working with him again. How many other young people out there transitioning from graduate to professional are experiencing this kind of treatment coming into the working life? You can't blame Daisy for pushing it down, deep down, and just letting this go. A few years on, Daisy digs deep and reflects on this conduct. I shouldn't expect that to work on a show and have that behaviour, especially at a rap party. There should be a level like professionalism because that's when rap parties go wrong. We shouldn't be extra strong for no reason. Like, it's good to be strong, but it's so unnecessary because I had to put it with loads of crap at the beginning working industry. I don't even know why I stayed sometimes, to be honest, because like so much other stuff has happened as well, but I kind of just got on with it. I just really just got on with it, to be honest. Getting your foot in the door is a silent thanks to the man upstairs. But getting a job on a feature film is next level shit. Our girl did it. She got a little closer to the runner's dream. The way I got that job, I was working at a camera rental company. This dodgy one got bust. They let me go on the Friday. I saw on Facebook this group to work at Central St. Martin's. So I thought it was a university event, you know, like helping out, like some sort of receptionist or something. So I applied and then the job started on Monday and then she was like, yeah, bring your passport, bring your license, driving license stuff. This is before the time when, you know, it was essential. I was like, yeah, sure. She was like, called me on the phone on the Saturday night. I was like, yeah, you know, um, this is, a, you ought to say a password. It's in the secret door. You've got to knock, don't ring the doorbell. And I was like, okay, this is fine. I was like, a start. And then she was like, yeah, you know, this is a feature film, right? I was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like, I didn't know, I applied Baxter. And then, yeah, I started on the Monday and I did like dailies with them from October to like December. Slightly delirious from the lack of sleep, Daisy arrived at her new workplace. Just imagine like a 90s office. It's all grey and white, very tiny. Because it was a uni's old Central St. Martin, so it was very small rooms, narrow corridors, wooden floor everywhere. And I think because it used to be boarding, so you, upstairs, I think they changed the... You can tell they took out beds, so they put it into like an office or like... It was a, had whiteboards as well in some of the rooms. It was a weird place. But they had four feature films in that building. 
So it was in pre-production. So pre-production, the feature film, loads of meetings, casting, the dialect coaches here, the vocal coach or whatever. It's all locks going on in this really tiny half-built office. It's like broken down Central Central St. Mines. Like you go upstairs and there's like block toilets. It's like so weird. Not only was the environment a little quirky and strange, the employees were even stranger. And everyone was like a bit like shifty. Um, the US team was on one side, British production team was on the side. The complete segregation, completely. You couldn't cross over that line, literally. If you crossed over, that's you just you just get looked at. I was like, this is such a weirdest thing ever. And it was kind of evident when I started that job not to talk to the people from all the producers or directors, etc. From from America, just stick to with your British side. So like, just if they say hi, say hi, but like, don't do like you know how we can just chat. Just don't do that. Little did Daisy know whose project she was working on. I didn't know how big he was. I thought it was just the name of the company. It didn't clock on. But they were preparing for him to fly over from the States to to London. And I was like, yeah, they're like, oh, he's coming, he's coming. And I was like, I was like who the hell's coming? I was like, because I had to prepare the meeting room. So they ordered loads of plants from Ikea. So they're dragging all these plants into the office, making it look nice, opening the windows... Harvey Weinstein, the former film producer and convicted sex offender, Harvey Weinstein. That's who Daisy was now calling boss. People were saying he was a bit scary or like, we just hear little whispers. If he did come in the room, you only talk to him if he's going to talk to you. Like you are probably thinking now, I wanted to know, did she have any encounter with him? <laughs> so I met him. So all I was doing was holding the door for the meeting. So it was... Everyone was, like, talking about it because, you know, what time he's coming, what time he's flying in, messaging, like, the states that are abroad and things like that. And there's quite a little bit of logistics going on. I had about half an hour to set up the meeting room, so it was really quick. I just saw him go in, but I never saw him leave the building really briefly, and I was just holding... Because he's such a big guy, I thought I was going to get squished. Because it's, like, a, such a narrow, old-school classroom door. Suddenly, Daisy found herself in a giant whirlpool of fear, politics and egos. Being told what to do, who not to talk to, how to behave, she desperately tried not to get sucked into the deep, dark centre. Yeah, I was scared at the time. There was so much don't be near him kind of situation at the time. Like, don't be near him and things, just avoid or stand back. But I think I just classed that as, because he's American... I was doing that with all the American team, everyone from the States. I just, like, stood, stood back, stuck to my production team as a PA. And that was it. Like, just do what I was told. Don't don't integrate. Like, before he arrived, when I started the job, and then when he did arrive or when he left, it was completely different vibes because there was so much of a build-up for him to be coming. So I think that's why they were so edgy at the start because they were two weeks in production. So it was very early on. I remember he got fined on the flight here, thousands of pounds, because he smoked. They, they put, it was put on the, the production budget, I remember that. And then he arrived, and then he flew back, did loads of demands and etc. But I don't know. The thing is, I was never in that meeting, that's why I barely know. But I was scared afterwards rather than during. When did Daisy realise the notoriety of this man? And why was she so scared after? 
So when I found out in March, I was like, I was really scared. I was like, oh my God, I've got this dirty money in my bank account because he paid me. I got, you know, I've got a bit of money from it. And then I was like, I was researching the stuff. And I remember when I went to visit my friends in New York that autumn, I met someone that worked with him when she was a PA like 20 years ago. And she told me everything, everything. I was just scared. That's why I never worked on a feature film again for for a couple of years, because I was like, if it's going to be like that... I mean, I got really lucky. I got really, really lucky, because the stories that I heard from people from my friends in New York and like and their friends in the industry and in the, the documentaries, etc., I was just like... So shocked. So if I knew it was a Weinstein job and it, I knew he owned it and the things that he did, I would have never done the job, to be honest. Despite discovering she was working for a sexual predator, I asked Daisy how she felt about her experience on her first feature film job. It was getting towards autumn, so there's Thanksgiving going on and Christmas time. It was all like... I remember I had to get loads of food for Thanksgiving and she was just like... The production manager was like, didn't have any like belief that I could get stuff from like Sainsbury's. She thought I was gonna like didn't know anything about Thanksgiving. I was like, I know, but I was just like, probably because the color of my skin. It's like, yeah, she didn't know anything. Rubbish. Like, I think I felt left out. Um, I wasn't appreciated. I was like, this job's crap. Like, I was like, I really want to work on a feature film and this was it. I had like quite a bit of expectations. I knew it would be a bit rubbish, but I didn't know it would be that much. And like the diversity was nothing. Like literally the only good part was it when the actors were coming, because it was like big name ones. You know, you got to shake their hands and stuff. And then even chatting to the director was really nice. He drew all the storyboards, it was all over the office and it was just incredible. The moment that you start to wonder if you deserve better, you do. Making shitty money working long hours with a toxic environment to boot. The penny had dropped for Daisy. I left in the middle of that film by December, like two days before Christmas. So I did October to December and I decided not to carry on working on it because they were just using me. Daisy was fortunate enough to not have been caught up in Weinstein's web, but she soon found herself dealing with a whole other shitbag of problems. Just turned 22, Daisy met an Indian man on set. She was pleased, another fellow British Asian creative who just happened to be from the same hometown as her family in India. She should have felt safe, like an ally had been formed. So I worked him on a shoot briefly for a couple of weeks. He was a, he had all these like, you know, he'll talk to me in Gujarati, like single me out, touch me quite a lot on the shoulder or like kind of give like a little bit of a side hug. He'll give demands in Gujarati because so, he'll know understand it and stuff. And with the other runner, no, he doesn't. So it was really just a bit weird because I found out he's actually from my hometown. I briefly mentioned it to my family. They were like, oh yeah, that's cool. I think they're from like, safe family with they live in the rough ends but i think they're okay so i was like okay fine why is it a problem that someone who speaks your name like your parents or your family's native tongue it's just weird on set it's just bloody weird like you just don't do that like it's all right you have a joke like understand that at lunchtime but not during not to give demands that's a stupid thing what kind of things was he demanding like oh because he would say comments as well, be like, that person's a bit of an idiot or that person's silly or that person, like, a bit fussy or a bit 
Oh, it's a bit hard to translate, but like those kind of words which mean like someone's a bit a bit off or a bit annoying. As well as making snide comments in their mother tongue, he favorited Daisy on that creepy, inappropriate level. But then he he called me, paid my wages first, and told me that you're getting paid before anyone else. Because I messaged my other the other guys would be like, have you guys got paid? They're like, no, no, no. He said Friday. I got paid on like the Wednesday or the Tuesday. Or something. Why do you think he was doing that? I don't know. Think about it. Why do you think he was doing that? It's probably I tried to make a move or something, I reckon. Daisy got the money and bounced. However, a few months later, he moved offices and ended up working in the building next to hers. I was working at this channel. His office was right next to mine, which I didn't I, I didn't know he moved until my friend said, oh yeah, they moved from South London to here. So I kept bumping into him all the time. And I was so annoying, like it'll be Asda, it'll be HSBC Bank, because I had to go and fetch things for the studio. And I was like, oh, for goodness sake, I like, I was like trying to wean that job out because I kept bumping into him. And I didn't realize he, he, he did mention I was like, oh yeah, I go to that show all the time, you know. I was like, I was like, oh no. Oh no, I was expecting it a little bit. And then and then I finally saw him. I was like, oh damn it. One particular incident, she felt cornered, backed up against the wall. It was during the lunch break, so I had to pick up a few stuff from um, the supermarket for the team. So like tape and things like that. And he was at he was came out the bank and then he saw me and then he was like, I'll come with you, I wanna get tea and like you he crossed the road with me, followed me all. Like, he was just like, you know, being friendly. So I couldn't really like tell him to get lost. And I thought I, wa- I would walk to the supermarket. Even though I knew I could drive, I thought I'd walk because it was summer. So it was quite a nice day. And I just had tea with him and stuff. And I thought, In his eyes, a tea at the local supermarket had given him the green card to advance on her. Yeah, and then after that incident, he did text me quite a bit, you know, to meet up or for drinks, and like he would slate everyone that we worked with, or like like really nice people as well. I was scared that he'll knew, know where I live, or because he's from my hometown originally. It's a very small town, so I was scared, you know, if I go home and he would plan to go home too, and then try and find me or something. I don't know. I don't know. Just like try something because it could have gone further luckily nothing happened like he would just say comments oh you're pretty you're this you're that you're intelligent oh you're with the same you know all this kind of thing you know like even like inviting me to go temple with him because there's a temple like up the road and stuff it was just too much at the back of her mind she knew there was always a possibility that he could end up working on the same shiny show she was on. But nothing prepares you for the reality of when it actually happens. And then, age 23, it happened. Deja vu, the feeling that you've heard this crap before. My heart dropped, I was panicking. I had to tap him in to reception, make sure they have a pass because it was him and his colleague. And I didn't want to share a lift, so I'm, I just went to the basement because at least I can hide in the runner's room. I don't know, I was just crying, crying about it all. Went to the runner's room, I told my friend, because he knew about this person anyway, that knew about the story, because I said it happened like ages ago. I told him about it and then he was like, oh, t- let's let's tell the PM. So the production manager that was covering my original PM, He she came downstairs and I just told her everything about it. Yeah, it took me, I was in a really like um, unsafe place and I did leave work that early that day. I got paid the whole day, left like three or four in the afternoon. 
I was just crying. It had got too much. There was no more space under the carpet to brush this shit anymore. She had to confront it. So with the support of her friend and her PM, they encouraged her to report it. It was harassing because I was favoritized. He would speak to in my mother tongue. He was a bit touchy. Felt like he was stalking me a bit because when I was working um, at the Arabic news channel, I kept bumping into him and I felt like he timed it. So I had to just call HR. Then do a set up face-to-face meeting, then another call, and then you have the decision to take it further or not. But I would have to say my identity because I was scared it happening to anyone else. But I didn't take it so far because I was like, I'll just avoid working. Did anyone really care about her? The deflation in her voice said it all. No, not enough. He didn't care, and I feel like the HR didn't really care too much because external freelancer to the company, so they don't really care because it's not actually staff or freelancer to the company, if that makes sense. They hire in to make that VT and then they just get lost, but they did it quite frequently. I feel like they didn't care because they they couldn't see the side of, because it was just men that was dealing with this on the phones, on the HR phones and face to face. Because the thing is, nothing happened at the work. This was external. So that's why they never pressed anything because nothing actually happened within building itself. It's all external. But then it's just, he's actually working. We're working at the same place, but for different departments. It's still unresolved. Company's still going and stuff. So that was that. No outcome, no resolve. I think I was like fed up at the end because nothing was really got resolved. And I think I just needed some sympathy or some sort of support, but there was no support really. It was, it felt like it was pushed pushed into the rug because it didn't happen, nothing happened in that building. There's nothing to say. Also, he did get away with it. Daisy shut down the HR procedure, back to square one, all alone again. I asked her how she continued to keep on keeping on. I did tell my production coordinator. She always gave me a heads up when he's coming or not coming to work away with my shifts. And I was like, I can't live like this. I was scared because he would, you know, find out when my shifts are or want to hang out, want to talk to me, want to try and work, like, get me on working again with his company. And I was just, I was just scared. I was just like, I can't be bothered to deal with this all again. I'm working so much as that is. They shouldn't be scared when they go to work. But that job made me scared because the uncertainty of him coming to my work for these meetings, but I really wanted to say it and be like, tell my big boss, I was like, don't hire him, he's just a load of crap. But I couldn't do it, I didn't, didn't do it. My job was quite working six days a week. I was basing on living in London weekly. Half the week I'll be driving, half the week I'll be taking the tube and then one day get a cab there and get a tube back. It was very complicated week, only Saturdays off. So there's lots going on. I think overall with my emotions, I was just like, I was just fed up. Creeps, stalkers, sexual predators. Her friend had warned her she'd get attention. But why is this a prerequisite of one's career in the media industry? It shouldn't be an excuse. It shouldn't be something women have to deal with. He warned me. I remember he was saying, like, guys will hit on you. You're pretty. You're young. Because I'm not from the area of London. You'll get preyed on a bit more. And there's not many people from your community that work in industry like you. Um, It's just crap that it's, it's happened so many times. 
I gave Daisy the platform to speak directly to these men, as if they were standing here right in front of her. I would say that you put me through lots of... um, lots of pain and unnecessary pain and um, situations which I didn't need to deal with at that time and it wasn't it's not it wasn't fair like to just walk all over me like that and they abused their power over me because they were older and they were male and they brought out that they thought they're like kind of like a brother or like kind of family friend kind of vibes but they didn't. Daisy got emotional There were tears in her eyes. There were tears in my eyes. It's not only the sexism that was building vexation inside her. It's the years of unnecessary struggle just to get a decent job to pay the bills. I always gave like my 100% because I I didn't, I never took any TV job because I knew it was really hard to get. I never took it for granted because it could disappear like in two seconds. They can forget about you like really quickly. What is making you emotional right now? Um, I think it's just like like so much effort it was compared to what I do up north. It's not so much effort. People, even if I was away for like in London for like I was six months away last year because I was waitressing to work on my documentary in my hometown, and up north still were messaging me to work, and I said I couldn't, but I didn't get their loyalty from. London. They didn't care. I worked so much in London. I got so many contacts there, way more than up north. It's always overriding, but I just didn't, I don't understand. I don't know what I, felt like I did something wrong or not working hard enough or because I didn't study it, I got an an English degree or something or I'm not in their clique. I don't know. I think, and also probably like I did meet loads of talent managers maybe because I did jump around loads and loads of jobs because I couldn't afford the rent to sit and pay rent in a London place where I can just stay at home and then come back again because that's why I moved so much because I couldn't afford that rent, you know, for that whole month. I don't know when my next job was coming. It was just easier for me to just go home, move out completely, come back later when the next one comes along because they were like, oh, stay at a company, stay at a company. I'm trying to. Why do I have to wait five months for the next one? Why can't I just work on the next one? People wake up. You need to wake up. I need to wake up. We are not making this an easy industry to access. And we are losing talent because of this environment. Never given feedback on jobs. Never filled in a form, never given feedback. Never met talent managers of the company after. Never had any thank yous really that much. Or a couple of times got presents, very rarely. Like when you finish production, that's it. Like no one cares where you go next. Like no one gives a crap. They already chosen already who's going to be on the next production. I was trying to get in and I was trying really, really hard. I was like, why is it so much effort? As if that's not enough for one person to endure, Daisy started to tell me about another experience when she had been discriminated against in TV. When I was at the studio show, I couldn't afford to eat out like eat out food all the time even in the ca- canteen I know it was a bit cheap but it wasn't like it adds up and I bought Indian food a few times I bought it in just with some rice and I put it in the microwave because it's in the it's in the canteen I just bought it into the runners area kind of slash where the guests kind of sit um yeah I got told off for eating that food because it smelled and they couldn't get rid of the smell and the guests were coming like two, three hours later, maybe two hours later. So I thought, oh, I'll be fine. I didn't want to bring any more Indian food. And then they just banned 
eating food around the runner's area completely and it was all my fault. So I finished eating and everything, I washed up and then the celebrity booker person came and he had got like spray everywhere and stuff. He was like, who was eating this food? Like, he wasn't shouting, but it was more like, who was eating this food? Like, it stinks and all this kind of stuff. I'm always honest, so I said it was me, sorry. Like, I won't do it again. And um, I was like, don't blame me with the runners because I was like, I was trying to be a good person. And then they banned eating food around that area and it was all my fault. And then everyone just hated me for a bit. It was the noise of the air freshener being sprayed that alerted her there was even an issue. She was being called out and humiliated in front of everyone. When he was doing that, I felt sad, ashamed, and I was just like, I just made me put off Indian food for a second because I was like, oh, why I shouldn't be eating this then. Like, I shouldn't bring, I shouldn't have brought it in. It was, maybe it was too risky because I know it might smell a bit. I was thinking in my head, what else can I bring for lunch? Dick? Sorry, not sorry. But there's always one, sometimes more than one, in every corner of the media industry. These obnoxious dicks need to chill the fuck out and check themselves. Compensating for your weakness by throwing your weight around on set is the lowest form of competence. If the smell of the food was really a problem, surely the best way to raise this is to have a one-to-one conversation. Food may seem like it's a trivial thing to some, but to others, it operates as an expression of cultural identity. But it was more than just about the food. This incident triggered Daisy to feel dejected and miss home for the first time. With the whole food incident, it did make me feel a bit homesick because I was like, I've never had this before. Because at home with my friends, even if they're not your friends, they're always like, we try each other's food, foods and stuff. Like with my Chinese friends, we celebrate the new year and they celebrate Diwali with us. No, I've never told anyone about this, but my friend at the time, he thought it was ridiculous, thinks it's stupid. The culmination of incidents and relentless hard work was getting to Daisy. I just didn't understand why I was being picked on for something so stupid, because it took me a year and a half to get that job, I wasn't from the scheme, and then, you know, all this kind of, I was trying to fit in, and not getting that job, that promotion, they gave it to someone else. I just felt like, well, why am I putting up with this crap? Like, this is so annoying. I was like, I'm not going to get any far the way they are, and it's not going to change. Even if I try and make it change and complain, it's not going to do anything. I think I did try and complain, like, verbally. I was like, why can't I get more shifts? Why can't I be the lead runner? Was never the lead runner, because they took on someone else who worked there less and was put as a lead runner, but... They just kind of, like, avoided the question, but like, oh, like, we just give it to her because, you know, she was free or something. I was like, I'm always free. I'm free every bloody week. I think, yeah, I don't think they valued me properly. They didn't value my efforts I put in. I don't think so. As I said at the start of this episode, Daisy went through a lot in her early 20s. She is one of the most tenacious people I have ever met, working around the clock, going from one runner job to the next and dealing with men who think they can take advantage of women in the workplace. We are leaving a bad impression of our industry on our youth. Having been through this time of confusion and setbacks at the start of her career, Daisy's determined to keep going and a family secret led her to what she believes is her purpose. So with my activism, I found my purpose because um, when my family member came out um, a couple of years ago, it was quite a big deal and things. And I knew that secret since I was 11. Like, I just knew. And I found out slowly. I kept it in. 
was like, I knew I was going to help him ev eventually, but it might not be necessarily him, it might be someone else. So I thought when he did come out, I let him come out on his own. I never said it, I never told my sister, never told my cousins or my aunties or my uncles or no one. And I found that my purpose now, I'm helping now, even though it's way late and it feels really late. She got involved with a foundation who help parents come to terms with their children being gay, particularly in the Asian community, and has started producing films to raise awareness of the challenges. Typical reactions from the community is um, you could get disowned because that's what I had in my head for like years. Yeah, just scared of that. Or like not be able to contact or losing contact. Um, the community finding out so then they talk and they don't want to invite us to weddings or functions or Diwali or whatever religious thing. That's the typical thing. And also they, they'll turn your heads back to you because they're that we don't want to associate because it puts our reputation down. That's all it is. That's all it is. But the main thing is it's there's a lack of education for the parents. It's actually not the kid, weirdly. It's actually the parents because they're so backward thinking in some sort of, or ingrained in, especially all the protests that happened last year as well. I don't know if anyone's watched it, but when Pride and Protest came on BFI Flair, it's just about accepting and educating them that they're just the same person. Like they're not doing anything wrong. I think that's what it is. And with the, with the child themselves, there's not enough resources for them. I've made like a couple of films with, with the LGBT plus community uh, recently. So all of that has given exposure and boosts their confidence that they can just be themselves. It doesn't matter what. I, don't, I will never understand how they actually feel exactly, exactly. But if I can give any support in some sort of way, then I'm here. What advice would she give other young women in the media industry? I would hope that in the future that there would be more women of different backgrounds, cultures and have lots of life experience, not some just finished uni and didn't do anything with their life. And I think they should have more a side thing going on, you know, not just work, work, work and then you just die. No, they should have done a more fulfilling thing and always give back to the community, no matter what it is, just I would always say give back, even if it's your crappy hometown, your little village, your, you know, community hall, just just do it because there's too much crap going on. And if you need to leave a little light when you die, so. Inexperience shouldn't mean an open door for unwanted and unsolicited pervy behaviour. Being young and new to an industry shouldn't mean you can be treated like shit. Unfortunately for Daisy and hundreds of young people in the industry, this is a familiar theme. We need to be our brother's and sister's keeper. Standing tall, firm and protecting, you are brave enough to stand up for yourself and those around you. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Naked Stories. This show was edited by Michael Kalizinski, sound designed by Anton Borove, produced by Anna Zerjik, Jessica Lapsiwala, and Tom Viskoski. Narratives written by Jessica Lapsiwala and myself, Roses Okipo. See you in the next episode for more non-filtered stories. For now, ciao bella.
Thank you.